Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to my weekly email newsletter, Friday Focus. Each Friday, I focus on one topic with one action arising. The link to sign up is in the show notes or head over to amyrolinson.com and sign up right now. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Duncan Basker and Brown. Duncan, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to having a bit of a chat. Ooh. Well, what do you think we're going to be chatting about, I wonder? Oh, uh, probably the weather. I mean, we are British after <laughs> all. So once we've got that difficult one out of the way, uh, I don't know. Let's see what happens. Well, it does begin with W, but it's not the weather. <laughs> so what is it you're focusing on at the moment, Duncan? Well, at the moment, I'm looking a lot at the impact that alcohol has on businesses. So I can bore you to death with all of the statistics, but the reality is that, you know, there are a lot of people who are going into work and they are not performing as well as they could do because they are suffering from the effects of alcohol. And I don't even really mean a hangover. I just mean a heavy weekend and lost sleep or just, you know, a couple of glasses the night before and the effect that that has on your uh, neurology and your biology and your sleep and all of that good stuff. And, you know, working with businesses to see how we can uh, help their staff become as productive and happy as possible. And what do you think is the reluctance for people to take this on this information on board that you're sharing with them, if there is any? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's very understandable. It's, it's, it's not really a conversation that we have. Alcohol... You know, it's so pervasive. It's so much a part of society that that we don't think twice about it. You know, somebody will say, oh, really going to deserve that gin and tonic. And, uh, you know, we just accept that. You know, they say it's wine o'clock and we don't even bat an eyelid. And, you know, part of what I try and do every day is just get people to think just a little bit more about alcohol and how it, you know, seeps into everything they do and how it has an effect. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's something that is very, very common in society, but is not really thought about at all. Now, there's two schools of thought that I, I see here, and I'm using this for my own personal findings that, People can either make their own decision and keep quiet about it, or they make their own decision and then they are so empowered by what has happened that they are preaching it from the rooftops. Now, I struggle with not sharing the incredible results of sobriety. But my husband said if he had, to me, preached about how amazing he'd felt, then it wouldn't. It would have pushed me further away from making that decision myself. Yeah, that, that's a that's a very very interesting one. I mean, I obviously know a lot of people in the community, and 
in general, they, you know, they, they, they fall into that camp of the kind of people who they are so in love with what's happened to them. You know, the benefits that they're getting are so huge. The energy, the peace, the focus, the vitality, uh, you know, the joy with life. You know, it's like, why would you not share that? You know, you'd have to be a little bit selfish not to share that. But I, I, I get the point. Uh, I mean, I think the thing is, people need to go through a process before they're ready to get to sobriety. And along the way, they're going to have a lot of little nudges. And I, I always like to take credit when people stop drinking after having worked with me. But, you know, I, I also know that along the way, there were a lot of little nudges. There are a lot of little things. And I think if you do it in the right way, then it can be just one of those those little nudges, those little touch points that are just moving people slightly further down the line. That they're they're, they're starting to 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 see to realise that there is another way. I th think one of the real problems most people have is they feel trapped. They don't feel like they're able to escape. They don't feel like there is an alternative. And the more we stand up and show people that there is an alternative, that there is another way, and hey, it's a lot better, um, that, I, I, you know, I, I think it can only ever be powerful. And it is difficult because I, I was at an event recently, it was a big gala dinner and I was sat there and I had an elderflower sparkling water and it was lovely and there was some cucumber in there and then it's mint and then I, I put it into my water glass and somebody thought I'd brought my own accompaniments to to jazz up my water and I was like no 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 I just was being creative and kept what I had from my previous drink but it was there's just this sort of I feel amazing I know when my evening now stops where I've I, I've got the most out of tonight I'm now happy to go home before I didn't I didn't ha ever have that I wanted the, the evening to go on forever the irony being that I wouldn't remember that evening anyway that after that point and there would be lots of embarrassing moments that would then ensue whereas I think as you said people are not recognizing that there is an alternative and because there it is so so accepted from a society norm to deserve that drink you know this when when has it become a case of you if you do if you've had a busy day then you deserve this reward of uh yeah this poison yeah 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 i've had a really stressful day so i need some poison that's going to make me feel terrible tomorrow so that i can have another really stressful day and justify having a drink after that yeah i don't know it sounds so simple when but i mean best part of is 30 five years I've been living this life of perpetual cycle yeah I, I mean it, it is a, it is a treadmill and you know it, it it makes you feel bad and makes you believe that, that that having a drink will make you feel better and in reality that first drink probably does make you feel a little bit better but what you've got to see is you've got to accept that it's a kind of form of well-being mortgaging you know you feel slightly better in that moment but you feel two and a half times worse the next day when you wake up just in the same way that you borrow a hundred grand off the bank and you pay back two hundred and fifty thousand pounds and it it works if you're buying property because as i'm sure you're aware 
property only ever goes one way. So by the time you've paid it all back, you've made your money. But um, feeling good uh, doesn't work quite the same way. Uh, you're just you're just mortgaging um, your your future well being. I love that expression. Tell me more. So, so, I mean, I can go into all of the boring biology and the neurology of it, but in essence, you know, there is part of you that just wants to have a drink. And when you give in and you have that drink, you feel better. That is not the drink taking you from 100% and making you 125%. That's the drink taking you from way down somewhere and making you feel something like normal again. But you never get back to 100% because the long-term effects of it, you know, it, 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 it changes the way your brain processes all of these wonderful, happy brain chemicals. And thus it reduces the amount of joy you feel. It increases the amount of anxiety you feel. It gets in the way of things like learning and development. It ruins your sleep. It just, in general, is a great recipe for, for making yourself feel less good. And I am not even talking about, you know, bottle of wine a night territory. I am talking about glass of wine a night territory. Anything more than one or two units, four times a week, you are definitely in the territory of causing yourself serious serious issues uh, you won't notice it of course because you start to mistake that malaise you know that lethargy that ill health that general feeling rubbish you start to mistake that for real life but that is not what life is and i and I, if before three four months ago i wouldn't i would have had this conversation with you in fact i have had this conversation with you and i'm like yeah but that's not me duncan you know don't stop me from enjoying my alcohol. Don't stop me from enjoying my chocolate. And and it is that, that the, the difference of knowing actually the state of this fog that you put yourself in over a period of years, decades, you don't actually know what a normal day is like. And, and that one glass or two is enough to make that shift. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And I don't want to take away anybody's uh, joyful use of alcohol. You know, if you want to enjoy alcohol, go and enjoy alcohol. Uh, all I do just want you to do is think about it. You know, ask yourself, are you genuinely doing that because it is a genuinely enjoyable thing that is really enhancing your life? Or are you doing it because you have simply just received these messages the whole of your life from TV, from film, from streaming services, from sports people, from rock stars, from politicians, from your parents and from your mates? Is that the reason why you're drinking or, or do you really enjoy it? And this parallel of receiving information and then acting upon it is is seen across all different areas of your life and and there are constant messaging subliminal messaging that we we take on board without even realizing it what was a shift for you so for me i think it all started um when I, I was actually in my early 20s was the first time i read alan carr's easy way to stop smoking and that kind of like flicked a bit of a switch in my head about the kind of things that we put into our body. To be fair, it didn't entirely work out with the stopping smoking thing. <laughs> and um, I did stop for a bit, started again, um, and, you know, continued to increase my drinking and eating junk food and all of that kind of stuff. But it had planted that idea into my head. And I 
think I am kind of lucky that I am naturally a little bit iconoclastic. I am a little bit like the kind of person who refuses to believe what they're told. I'm like, right, okay, well, I, really, is it actually like that? Or is that just something you're saying? So I think I've always had that kind of anti-establishment, uh, you know, I'm not really prepared to believe you. So when it got to the point where alcohol had become so bad in my life, that I really did need to get rid of it. I, I, I kind of had a pretty good idea that everything that I had heard about it was complete junk. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of already open up, opening up to those ideas. And then what? And then, and then I stopped magically and my life became Instagram perfect and all my friends got sexier. No, so <laughs> I, 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 as I said, I, um, I, I first got involved with uh, Alan Carr, that's the world famous addiction expert, by the way, not the comedian, um, in my early 20s. Uh, so when I wanted to stop smoking uh, in my early 30s, I decided that I would reread this book and I actually made it stick that time. So when uh, kind of things moved along a little bit and um, the next thing had to come out of the lifestyle and that was alcohol, uh, that naturally sent me back to to Alan and I just kind of like basically reread the easy way to stop smoking, realized I'd misremembered half of it um, and applied that to to alcohol. And uh, yeah, then I stopped drinking. And then the, the bit that nobody ever really talks about was, you know, I had a lot of struggles and it was quite hard for probably about 18 months. Uh, that, that's partly because stopping drinking coincided with having a daughter and, uh, you know, lover and everything. But um, that's quite hard in and of itself. My wife got quite ill after she'd given birth as well. Um, and I to a point where I started eating junk food the way I used to drink. Once I'd got that sorted out and once I'd kind of stabilized, then my life got Instagram perfect and all my friends got better looking. Um, and I think that's such an important thing to kind of get across to people that, um, yes, when you stop drinking, you instantly feel better. But if you have been drinking because you have been trying to ignore some problems in your life, either emotional or procedural or logistical or whatever, you know, then they are going to come back. They are going to still be there when you've stopped drinking. And now you are going to have to face them, which is both annoying but actually quite good because you are then in a position where you are able to look them straight in the eye. And what you find is half of them weren't half as bad as you, you thought they were going to be. And the other ones you just work your way through in due course. But unfortunately, that's something that not a lot of people talk about sobriety. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a, so true. I mean, it's the numbing that you get from disappearing into a world where you can slow down the thoughts or forget the problems and at the other end of the the bottle they're still there and they will come back and yeah. it's, so it doesn't I mean, change for, the facts for me they, they didn't even go away for the entire evening you know first glass they'd disappear but get towards the end of the first bottle and they'd start bubbling up again and they just seemed larger i sort of to rip off an analogy from plato i think it's like your problems um there's a torch behind them and it's beaming the shadow onto the wall and it's making them look very, very big. And certainly, you know, that kind of like 
one and a half bottles of wine kind of range in the evening, then I would be quite upset and quite worried about my problems because they would appear massive. As soon as I stopped drinking and as soon as I turned the, the torch off, I realized that, you know, that giant monster on the wall is actually just a mouse at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. So moving from the different addictions, as, as you just shared, so the, the smoking to the alcohol to the junk food, what's, what's the purpose piece in all of this work? So what I would dearly love to do is to, uh, well, two things, really. One, we've sort of already talked about, you know, there is a lot of problems in society. And I think we really do need to change the conversation in society. We need to say to somebody, let's go out for a drink. And then to sort of think that we mean maybe that nice kind of elderflower and sparkling water with a bit of cucumber in it, rather than, um, you know, some, some yeah, ropey old ethanol. So I think we, we need to do that piece. We need to um, change society. And it is happening. You know, it is coming. In 20 years time, people will look at alcohol the same way they look at smoking. But the problem is we there are people out there who don't have 20 years to wait. In fact, I worked with somebody um, earlier this year who probably didn't have 20 days to wait. You know, if she'd continued drinking the way she was drinking, she would have been dead in three weeks. So we also need to work with people, you know, to help them now because they need help now. Even more than that, you know, I think it's really important to work as um, a community to work with all of the people who who choose not to drink alcohol and help them to find a way through life. Because, you know, they don't want to wait 20 years to go out. They need to be able to go out this evening. They need to go and enjoy their life, lives. So there are a lot of kind of techniques and strategies that, uh, that, that I want to share with people to help them do that as well. And you mentioned at the beginning the impact that alcohol has on businesses and, and the reality that people aren't performing and that companies are suffering from the effects of, of alcohol. What about personal life too? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I talk a lot about energy and focus and productivity and stuff like that. But, I mean, I think the, the real benefit that I got from stopping drinking was that it, it really helped me to improve my relationships, to understand, you know, what my wife was asking for when she was asking for uh, help. Because, you know, I am a man. So I assume if you ask for help, you want some shelves putting up when actual actually what she meant, of course, was that she wanted somebody to to listen to her, to understand, to be compassionate and to just give her a hug. And that I think that kind of like blossoming of emotional intelligence, uh, you know, I, I'm, it's certainly nothing really to do with me. It's what happens to a lot of men when they go on this this kind of sober journey. <clears throat> They get to grips with their, their emotions and they deepen their relationship. So in terms of your personal life, I. I don't think I've ever met an area of your personal life that it won't improve. And you mentioned there specifically the emotional intelligence for men. Have you, do you feel that there's a different experience here? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that as men, we, we, we kind of take it for granted that when something is talked about it, we're just talking about men doing it. 
Um, but that is not necessarily true in the sobriety community. You know, while men are far more likely, two to three times more likely to have a drinking problem, they are less likely to seek help and they are less likely to talk about it once they, they have. And if you look at the top 15 books um, on Amazon about stopping drinking, you know, the majority of them were written by by women. The, the the ones that are written by men were generally written by Alan Carr, who has been dead for 17 years. So it doesn't say much about the kind of effort that men are putting in to, 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 to try and help each other to get through these problems. And, you know, I love, there are some people doing great work, some women doing amazing work. I love Claire Pooley. I, I think her stuff's amazing. But I imagine that talking about drinking Chardonnay after the school run is not exactly going to resonate with a lot of men. So as men, I think we have a responsibility to step up, to help each other, to actually um, create a, a, a movement um, to, to help men to stop drinking. And the knock-on effect of that is, yes, we will increase our emotional intelligence. We will be better husbands. We will be better fathers. Uh, you know we'll be better human beings. So you've mentioned that there are a lot of books out there and I have been diving into this new world for me of quit lit and it's it's fascinating. It is it is really interesting to to hear other people's journeys to to follow different thoughts and and experiences that people have had and and the realities that they've faced and the understanding that they've come to of how a sobriety or a life of sobriety is is a a more informed, better version of themselves. Have there been some books that have helped you or or what's what's really helped you with your journey? So yeah, I, I do I do love a book. I, I have I have read many of them. I just finished something called Addicted in Film, which is the, the best book I've read in a while about it. Um I, I, it, it's it's about um how recovery is portrayed in Hollywood. And I think it's very interesting if you've already recovered. If you if you haven't, if you just want a general introduction to alcohol and the kind of effects that it has on you in a very, very non-judgmental way, I always recommend Drink by uh, Professor David Nutt. He used to be the government's um, chief drug czar, and he's an incredibly well-respected uh, scientist. Uh, and his book is very very clear and very even-handed, and it's not moralistic, it's not preachy, it does not tell you what to do, it simply gives you the information. The kind of information that usually makes you think, oh, actually, why am I doing this? But he doesn't tell you what to think, so so that is always a, a, a good starting point. And that's the thing, and that comes back to the conversation I was saying earlier, the two sort of schools of campus, you just get on with your own thing and you keep quiet, or or that you do you can become quite preachy because of just how impactful it's been and and when you've got older children as i have it's hard now for me not to say anything but i but my husband is we've had this conversation about actually just do be do do as as he has done for the last two and a half years and that can be as powerful as well yeah, I, I mean, the, the best piece of parenting advice that I've ever had, the only piece of parenting advice that ever made any sense is your your children will ignore everything you say and copy everything you do, which is why I do get a little bit annoyed when people 
go, oh, yeah, well, you know, drop them off at the party and stay and have a glass of uh, champagne with us. And it's like, oh, well, fantastic. What you have done is you've hijacked your kid's party. You've turned it into an event for you. And it's not for you. It's for them. And what you're really teaching them is that celebration is impossible without alcohol. And that is one of the worst lessons that society shoves into people's heads. And it is that, isn't it? The probably when we were talking earlier about the the not having an alternative and that to have a celebration or to have a an event that is worth worthy of celebration, alcohol needs to come to the party. Yeah. Look, I mean, the ultimate irony of that one is I have been to several funerals of people who have died as a direct result of drinking alcohol. And what did we do at the wake? We got drunk. And it's just, oh, irony of ironies. And, you know, you kind of mentioned that there, there's always differences of opinions. And some people are very dogmatic about how alcohol-free beer is the work of the devil. And for some people, it, you know, it, it's made a huge difference and it's allowed them to be sober. So, you know, I, I don't care what you do so long as it makes you happy and so long as, you know, it doesn't harm other people whilst you're doing it. Um, and I, I, I am quite into uh, Royal Flush is the, the, the nice kind of alcohol free champagne. It's sparkling Darjeeling, if I remember correctly. It's like, but, it, but honestly, like last Christmas, um, my, my mum poured some for me in exactly the same glass as everybody else was drinking champagne and I put it down and did something else and then picked it up again and went, oh my God, I've picked up the wrong one. This is actually champagne. Uh, on closer inspection, it proved not to be it. So, you know, there are alternatives out there and I, I, I just think that's what I would love to see. I would love to walk into events and be handed an alcohol-free drink. And if you want alcohol, of course it's available. You just have to go to the bar. But those people with the trays walking around, handing out the drinks, that should always be alcohol-free. Yeah, I, 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 and that was what happened to me at the Scala dinner, and I was so excited to have a more sophisticated option uh, available, which is great. Yeah. And, and for that yeah. to be the norm would be more than what I'd dream for, really. And if you're running the event, like, wise up, mate. Like, <laughs> sparkling water with a bit of cucumber in it and some elderflower, hell of a lot cheaper than Cristal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So you spoke about being in love with what's happening to you and, and what has been happening to you and the joy of life that it's brought. Tell me more about the the purpose of your work. Yeah, so... I mean, honestly, it is. I just want to share that joy. I want to give that to to people, whether that's through sort of like one to one work where we're really kind of getting right down into the weeds of what they believe. And, you know, I mean, you've done enough coaching to know how exciting that is to watch people kind of remove the junk that's been sitting in their head and holding them back for years and years and years. You know, like I genuinely I love doing that and I love seeing people as they progress and develop and you know they they say back to me the same sort of thing they're like I don't know I can't believe it I feel amazing why didn't I do this years ago so you know that that fills me uh full of joy and excitement but as I say I, th I think we need to work on society in in a much broader level and we just need to keep 
hacking away at it and pointing out that there is there is a genuine business case for helping your employees to get to grips with their, their drinking. They will be happier. They will be more productive. But more than that, I genuinely think someone fairly soon in America is going to sue their employer for exposing them to a poisonous and dangerous chemical uh, as a part of their job and not adequately providing, you know, the appropriate risk assessments and safety and things like that. And, you know, at the end of the day, alcohol is a toxic, harmful, poisonous chemical that if it wasn't alcohol would have to be kept in you know the, the 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 metal cases with all of the hazard warning diamonds you'd need the risk assessment you'd need all of that stuff if it wasn't just this one thing that we kind of ignore and we we allow our employees to pour it down their throats when they're taking the clients out for dinner when they're at sales conferences when they're at the kickoffs when they're at away days when they're socializing and people haven't thought this through and uh you know until you do you are at risk of it coming back to bite you spectacularly. And you mentioned earlier that you think that in the next 20 years that we will be looking back in, in the same way that we have with smoking and how that was quite a, I would say quite a fast period of time of going from everybody smoking in, in the 60s, 70s to then the 80s, 90s realisation for it to be banned in the sort of the early 2000s in public places. And fantastic, you know, we're 23, 24 years later from, from that particular event. Alcohol was around way before cigarettes. It's, it's, the shift is not as fast at all. No, but if you think about it, you know, lung cancer was unquestionably linked to cigarettes in the um, early 50s. Uh, cancer and alcohol were unquestionably linked together in the 80s. So it's about 30 years behind. So uh, it, it is coming and there there is nothing that is going to get in the way of it. And I think part of it is that kind of understanding piece that a lot of people think we've been drinking alcohol for a long time. That's not actually that true. Uh, you know, everybody drinking alcohol is a relatively modern kind of idea. People drinking beers that are over 6%, it's a very modern idea. Yeah, you can, because the government has been keeping records on these things called tax, you know, you can actually look back at the customs and excise and you can see how the strength of beer has increased year on year for the last 150 years. You know, people in the Victorian era were drinking beer that was about 2%, which is almost effectively not alcoholic. It's certainly not Stella Artois. You know, so it has changed. And even in your drinking career, you know, the strength of wine will have gone up. It used to be around 10%. It's now knocking on for 14%. And that's really interesting, isn't it? The 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 sort of the volume has the size measures that you get have have decreased in, but the glasses have got bigger, and so the strength has got bigger, and it's it is that bigger and more, yeah, just the whole consumer led society, yeah. isn't it? 
they call it premiumization in the alcohol industry and it's a way of extracting more money from you you know because at the end of the day that's what alcohol companies are there for they are there to get your money out of your pocket and like I know you have heard this, and I'm sure your listeners have probably heard this. It is much easier to sell to an existing customer than it is to recruit a new customer. And that is great if you are selling flip-flops or cars or magazines. However, if you're selling an addictive, dangerous, poisonous chemical, then that is not a great strategy. And actually, the alcohol industry makes most of its money from people who are drinking at dangerous levels it, it basically its profit comes from suffering misery and the ruination of life so where does a purpose piece fit in here for for those businesses and and for the the future well i i think that this should be fitting into everybody's well-being program you know i i think it's it is great that most businesses have now cottoned on to the fact that there is a economic and of course moral case for making sure that your your staff are are well and are happy and are productive um but nobody in the well-being industry is actually talking about alcohol it's it's one of those things that that everybody ignores and it's great i love yoga i think yoga is fantastic i love meditation i think meditation is fantastic but it ain't worth a damn if you're drinking a bottle of wine every night and it's like that's the kind of the the piece that i think businesses have got to get their head around they already know what they want to do they just need a bit more information to help them really uh, you know make the most of the 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 great work that they're already doing around health and well-being and it's really interesting. I was listening to a podcast and the discussion was that she, the particular guest on this show was talking about how she'd been speaking to sleep doctors and that alcohol never came up in the conversation pre-diagnosis for their issues of sleep, which seems to be insane. Yeah. I mean, I know somebody who was diagnosed with um, chronic fatigue syndrome and then they they moved to a different country. So they obviously got into a, a different kind of medical system and they were, realized they were running out of the medication that, that, that they, they had. And um, they were starting to get a little bit worried about it, but then something else kind of like prompted them to, to stop drinking. And uh, they stopped drinking for a few weeks and realized they didn't need the chronic fatigue medication anymore. Their symptoms disappeared. You know, the medical professional, they should know better. You know, if you are a sleep doctor, you should know better. The first thing, before you get blackout blinds, I mean, blackout blinds are a great idea. But before you get blackout blinds, stop drinking. It's going to make more of a difference. Oh, the blackout reference there. I'm not going to go down that. that. <laughs> but it, it it really is a, a conversation that is just worth pursuing in terms of understanding and, and you were talking earlier about mindful drinking you know even if you're not stopping just be more mindful about your drinking and that's what we're looking to encourage people to do is just to look at what they're doing notice whether they may feel better not yeah yeah i bumped into a friend the other day and he was outside at an, at an event and it was freezing i mean it was properly properly cold and he's kind of like holding this pint um, you know, with the sleeve of his jumper because his hand is so cold. And I'm like, you are not enjoying that. You know, that that is not an enjoyable drink. 
And I think that's one of the things. If you're going to drink, I mean, at least make them count. At least drink the ones that you enjoy. Well, on that note, <laughs> tell me the the vision that you have for the future. So, yeah, I'd like to walk into, uh, you know, a restaurant or a bar and it would just be like 50% of the drinks are non-alcoholic. And, you know, I've got the choice. There are the, the mocktails. It's not three an afterthought at the end of the menu. It's the same size as the cocktail menu that the the beers on the bar are, you know, a mixture of alcohol free and the ones with alcohol and you can order them and nobody will really know and nobody will really judge you. And if I ask for a, a glass of sparkling water, it gets delivered in a really fancy glass with with a little bit of cucumber and some strawberry in it and a nice. So it looks just like my wife's gin and tonic. But um, so long as they don't charge me eight quid for it, then you know <laughs> I'm happy. But I, I think that's uh, that that's the world I, I want to live in, the one where, you know, alcohol can still exist. If people want to drink it sensibly, so it's not damaging their health and it's not damaging their relationships, that's great. But there's just as much room for people to to come out and enjoy themselves and, uh, you know, have something tasty. And like I've got nothing against Coke. You know, Coca-Cola's great if your drains are blocked and you need them cleaned. Coca-Cola is a fantastic substance for that. But, you know, we're just like a little bit more more uh, alcohol free choice. So so it's normalized. And what I'm hearing is, yes, alcohol is the focus of the conversation but as a metaphor for life you're talking about equity and equality here as well yes yes and the, the amusing thing is that there are people out there who are well companies that are actually rethinking this but far more from a, an equality and diversity point of view because um the, uh, uh, less young people are drinking um, and obviously, uh, you know, there are some Hindus and m most Muslims who, who don't drink. So if you want to it, reach the top talent, then don't make your, uh, you know, don't have a beer fridge. It's going to send totally the wrong impression to potential talent. So you, 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 you would be missing out. So, yes, absolutely. It's about um, the equality. And, you know, I just... I want everybody to be be comfortable and I, I you know I want us all to go out and, and have a good time and concentrate on something uh you know interesting, you know, concentrate on our why, on our purpose, like actually get down to discussing changing the world rather than is that sparkling water you're drinking, Duncan. Yeah, absolutely. So better, better choices, better conversations creates a better world. Yeah, love it. Absolutely. Duncan, how could people get in contact with you, please? So I, I, I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook. And if you wanted to uh, like me or connect with me or follow me or whatever the appropriate verb is, uh, do that. Send me a message and I will uh, share with you a link where you can get a copy of my book, um, Get Over Indulgence. You can have that on uh, Kindle PDF or audio that's that's quite easy so just um just connect with me and um I'll, I'll send you that link or we could just have a chat i quite like chatting i don't know whether that comes across or not 
Well, thank you so much. I'll make sure all those links go into the show notes. And yes, it's been great chatting with you. And I, I do hope that your vision for the next few years comes true. And it, it will be a case of individually, we will all make a difference if we are working towards that vision as well. Uh, and I know it's something that, as you said earlier, and as my husband has been saying, it's very much a case of just doing and then people will copy what you're doing because it'll become more acceptable and more the norm to do what it is that we're doing. So, yeah, great. Yeah, it's coming. Don't you worry. We're at the foamy, <laughs> with a foamy bit of a breaking wave. Amazing. So do you have some final words, please, Duncan? Yeah, you know, the thing that I'd love everybody to really, really appreciate is that they are enough. You know, every one of your listeners, they are whole, they are complete, they are enough. They never needed alcohol, cigarettes, junk food. You don't need any of that. You you have everything inside you that you need to live a beautiful and happy life. How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.